So we've got a question from uh, on Zoom from Bob Fodderingham next about the behaviour of the British state. Hi there. Yeah, before I ask my question, I just want to make it clear that I'm in flavour of Plan B, Plan C, anything that brings Scottish independence closer. Uh, I'm, I'm in favour of it. But my question really revolves around the British state. And I think there's an element of naivety here uh, about whatever route we take, constitutional route we take, to asking the British state or uh, challenging the British state around the question of independence. I don't think the courts are neutral institutions. I think they are institutions of the British state. And I think to expect the courts uh, to back up any plan, uh, I think, uh, leads us down the wrong, the wrong path. So my question really is, is when we reach the, the kind of bottom line here, what plan do you guys have to ensure that the British state will honour the democratic rights of the British people? Uh, would you consider things like civil disobedience? Uh, would you consider, you know, action that brings people onto the streets to challenge the British state? Because I think to sit back uh, and hope, believe that the institution that is the British state will sit back and accept whatever we do without a, a challenge and a fight, I think is, is naive. So that's my question. What, what's your plan when we reach the bottom line? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good question. The, the, the SNP activists in the 1980s that said MI5 followed them were called conspiracy theorists. You know, and then in 2018-19, the papers get published that special branch in MI5 were following them. We, we, we invaded a sovereign nation to steal their oil, being Iraq, on false intelligence. Bombs that are built in Scotland by the MOD um, are sold to the Saudi Arabian regime that are then dropped on children in Yemen. And if it, meaning any offence to Angus, I, I, I hear some of his colleagues in the, the kind of new age group of SNP MPs saying we need to, we need to be seen as grown-ups in the room. You know, if that's the sort of room you want to be seen as a grown-up and you shouldn't be in that room. Uh, and I think that, that that's something that our team of MPs need to remember um, because quite often, and you can just look back to a few weeks ago when we thought we were big and mature calling for the UK to, multilateral, to pursue multilateralism because that's a mature thing that will get you respect among the upper echelons of the land in general, the British establishment. <laughs> You're selling your pup. You know, that's what they want, you know. <laughs> First thing MPs get when they, they get elected, I know it was a long time ago for Angus, but, you know, they, they send you your British army card and invite you on a, a recce. Do, do you want some fatigues to go on a parachute jump? It's just attempts by the British establishment to seduce you. And we need to resist them. And, and the reality is that that's the very establishment that, you know, uh, an establishment that can fabricate intelligence, documentation, to lead to a war that killed 100,000 children and 500,000 Iraqis. That's the very same establishment that you're being asked to believe will turn around and say, give them another referendum, even though we're going to lose, because that's fair. I just think that's nonsense. So then what happens when we actually get that test, whether it's the election or the referendum and we win it? But then, of course, the, the forces of darkness, as Lord Robertson once referred to, will, will come out. You know, it'll be, you'll lose defence orders, there'll be the border patrols, all, all these scare stories to try and delegitimise it in the... One big tactical issue we've got, obviously, was the efforts for a people's referendum on Brexit. 
you know, will there be a, a UK government move towards saying, oh, there has to be a confirmation referendum now because the people of Scotland were mistaken when 70% of them voted for independence. They, they might have changed their mind. So all of these things will happen. So I think it's really, until we wake up in day one of an independent state, we are not independent. If we get a referendum or if we get a plebiscite that we all agree is on independence, when we vote for it, that doesn't make us independent. And I think yeah. that's important to realise there will be an 18-month to a two-year period that the British state will try and delegitimise and destabilise that result so that people change their mind because obviously they don't want us to be independent, which has always, all my life, been a surprise because, you know, they're forever happy to remind us that we're substance junkies and, you know, we're a drain on the British establishment. So it's always been a great surprise to me why they want to keep Scotland when we cost them so much money. I take a slightly different view. I don't think they're that good and that organised. If they're that smart and that organised, they wouldn't be foisting a Brexit on themselves. It's going to do them 4.9% damage to GDP over the next decade or even allowing some other allegedly smarter members to go on TV and to tell us we're going to have shiny new trade deals. Just for context, folks, the, the best of these trade deals uh, is worth about 0.2% of GDP. That's with America, and that's a quarter of the world's GDP. So you're losing 4.9%. Just call that, I tell people, you're losing £4.90, uh, and you're gaining about 20 pence from America. And given it's a quarter of the world's GDP, there's only about another 80 pence to gain after many, many negotiations. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not... I'm not that overawed by them at all. I've seen them up close. I've seen smarter in Reykjavik, to be honest. I've seen smarter in Little Torshaven. I've seen smarter in Dublin. I've seen smarter in many other places. And I don't think we need to be overly uh, worried about them. Uh, obviously, don't be complacent either, but get our ducks in a row in the first place. I mean, uh, and that would be my answer uh, to Bob, is I'll cross many bridges when they come to it. But if we, if we don't get our ducks in a row for the election on May the 6th, and if we go at this asking for a Section 30, then you don't need a very clever organisation to thwart you. Uh, you just need one letter from Boris Johnson and the game is off, as we've seen in January. I think that Plan B puts them in a different situation. They are reeling at the moment. Brexit is going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble in January and February for them. Uh, they've got the G20 coming in in May. And if we were to make our plebiscite at the election at May on independence, very difficult but backdrop to start uh, playing a Lukashenko when you've got all those guys in town. Let's get, our, let's get our side organised first and we'll cross the bridge of dealing with our opponents later. But at the, at the moment, we're not into the gym get, getting, getting ready for the bout. We're still wondering if using gloves is a good idea or not, or Marcus of Queensbury or whatever. We're just not at the races. Uh, to mix as many metaphors as I possibly can in two sentences. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bob. I'm going to kind of combine, because we're kind of starting to run out of time now, so I'm going to combine two questions because they're quite similar. Um, the first part is, do you think that the SNP MPs in Westminster, is it doing them any good remaining there? And the second part is, what do you think that the Westminster government is going to do to the Scottish Parliament come the 1st of January when all these powers go back from the EU? I've got my own biased view on this one. So. <laughs> if Scotland can keep Angus McNeil away from Scotland, the better. <laughs> it's always been a difficult one because it's important to win elections to advance the aims of the cause. So, you know, we need people to vote SNP in a general election for whatever reason, which historically, even when we were in power at Holyrood, it was difficult to get people to see the difference. But, you know, the reality is... When I say I don't mean offence, Angus, normally offence follows. The biggest thing the SNP group have done since 2015 that cut through to 
the whole UK, not just Scotland, in terms of what they've done at Westminster, was walk out of the place. You know, not, not, nothing in the last five years has got more attention than people walking out. The SNP get 9,000 new members the next day from just walking out of the place. And, and I think that that's the tactical mistake we make. You know, it's like, you know, select committees are great. Let's sit on the, 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 the select committee for the Dutch of Lancaster to make sure that Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Charles's um, property portfolio is getting well managed. I mean, who cares? When we're being refused a Section 30 request, we should stop playing their game because every time you play Westminster's game, Scotland loses. And, you know, there are examples in English Parliament, which, which I must say, I, I think it is an impressive Parliament in terms of standing orders, if you're into that sort of thing. There are examples in, in the UK Parliament when one member has brought a halt to the entire afternoon's committee schedule through their, their actions. And I think when you've got a team of 48 down there, You've got a lot of people that can be saying, this is what we want to achieve, and we're going to keep doing all these things until we achieve it, whether that's a Section 30 or whether you want Ian Blackford to be respected at first uh, Prime Minister's questions and stop being heckled, whether you want Angus McNeil to get more questions because he's a great intellect. You know, but we, we, at the moment, our strategy seems to be, let's be seen to be the big boys in the room. You know, let's sit on the Defence Select Committee. Let's sit in the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Let's fly out a these countries to have meetings with in Washington, D.C., which, to be honest, you know, I always remember the old adage, what's that got to do with independence? And the answer is not a lot. So I think we should take a more militant position in West. I wouldn't walk out of Westminster and go back to Scotland because we don't do anything up here. Whereas I think we can we can destabilise. And Pete Wishart thinks you can grind down Boris Johnson. You can't, but you can grind down the institutions of the UK Parliament that will really frustrate them, really annoy them to the extent they have to concede and give you something. Whereas at the moment, we're not asking for an awful lot. Firstly, I'm shocked I've got a compliment from Chris McElhenney there. That's, that's, a, that's a first. The spirit of Christmas lives in this, in this 2020. But I would say for MPs being there, MPs have got to be there. There's a whole load of other stuff that we're doing. Like, for instance, you know, just one thing, but there's many things. I've got an interconnector I'm trying to get uh, to, to Lewis at the moment. Uh, knowing people pushing on that, cajoling all sorts of ways, that is useful to be there and speak to people. It'll be even easier if we're independent. We could just do it without all this, all the process we have at the moment. And in almost any other government in Europe running Scotland would certainly have a decent cables to the, the windiest part of Europe. But you know, we leave that to, to one side. We we do have to be there to to do that sort of stuff, constituency stuff. We also pick up quite a number of things. We learn a lot of stuff uh, around there. It's really useful being. Chair of the International Trade Committee to use that and to advance that for independence and have the voice of independence coming elsewhere. The good thing is, since March, we haven't had to go down too much. I think I've been down once. I've managed to uh, use the, um, the the internet, my internet connection on the on a croft on the west side of Barra is better than it is in Westminster. I went out to the shed in the croft here one day to vote, uh, and I voted faster uh, in Westminster. And productivity is an important thing in the UK. It's not great, uh, but I voted faster. Uh, in a shed, in a croft on the west side of the smaller islands of the Outer Hebrides than I've ever done a Westminster. Doing something for productivity, showing that things can be done better. But of course, Jacob Rees-Mogg refuses that. But the point is, there's many things that we're doing and picking up as as MPs. But yeah, I take Chris's other point that, you know, the walkout was successful, uh, the being disruptive, the the forcing our issue. You know, we spent all of 2019 talking about a referendum, yet a second Brexit referendum, not an independence referendum. My call throughout that year was we give them a revocation of Article 50 option or else we're on to pivoting to independence then. 
We didn't pivot to independence then. We carried on uh, trying to reverse Brexit all of 2019 until we suddenly decided towards the end of 2019 we were going to cause an election uh, which was going to free the Prime Minister and enable him to do exactly what we were trying not to have done all of 2019. You know, 2018 was quite a dead year uh, as regards independence too. 2019 was the year where we played Brexit and everything about it was Brexit and stopping Brexit. We were in that decisive buses, I think. Yeah, if we, we can, there are strategies and things we could do. Are we doing them as a unified lot? No, we're not at the moment, to be honest. But hopefully, uh, things now, and the absolute obvious is happening with Brexit next week, that things will change a little. That's great, Angus. Right, we've got a really interesting question about political pressure from Ross Weir. My question is that why do we believe that Boris Johnson will bow to political pressure when Nicola Sturgeon will not bow to political pressure from her own party and people of Scotland? Ooh, cracker of a question. Uh, we, we're constantly asking Boris Johnson to do this, that, and the rest of it. I think even last week there was a question to ask Boris Johnson, would you do something for the First Minister? Boris Johnson, he won't bow to political pressure. <laughs> Absolutely not. Which is why we need plan a plan B, an insurance policy, to make sure that we've got something to fall back on when the inevitable, the predictable and the predicted is going to happen again. So, no, he's not going to bow to political pressure at all. But I can put a full stop there. Can I come back at that yes, then, please? So, yeah. if, if, if he is not going to bow to political pressure, how is Nicola Sturgeon going to bow to political pressure? Back to the, to the emails and the pressure and the writing internally. Get on to your MPs, get on to your MSPs uh, about this Would plan you- and a fallback. But the difficulty is, is the SNP is quite a hierarchical organisation. Uh, we, we're almost... We lived in a feudal country and we behave in a feudal manner. We, 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 look, to, we look to the top for guidance rather than, rather than encouraging. And there's one thing I often remember, it goes back maybe to Roddy 13-14. On the night before Bannockburn, Bruce didn't want to fight. And it was Neil Campbell of Argyle and Angus Hawke MacDonald of Isla that made Bruce change his mind the night before Bannockburn. Now, that being the SNP, frankly, folks, the leader would have decided something and everybody else would have nodded their heads. That is not the best a way to be doing things. Yeah, so, so you, you, what you're, you're absolutely asking us to believe that we can change Nicola's mind when you're telling us that we cannot change Boris Johnson's mind. Uh, we're looking at this problem from completely wrong attitude. The SNP are the problem here. So just starting with Boris, but speaking in generality about political leadership, so the easiest decision Boris Johnson had to make throughout the whole pandemic was sacking Dominic Cummins. But he didn't, even though the entire Tory party, party urged him to do so. Which leads me to the conclusion that acts when it's in the personal interests of Boris Johnson. He's a Prime Minister. He knew he had another four years in office. He didn't need to worry about sacking Dominic Cummins because, you know, his timeline probably means he won't be standing for re-election anyway. So it's the same for Nicola as well. So what would make Boris change his mind and what would cause political pressure to work? Well, taking away from Boris something he wants the job of Prime Minister. So if the political pressure was to such an extent the Tory party thought they had to get rid of him, we're now entering a, a post-COVID period that people are already starting to brief against Boris. I and mean, you've seen a few weeks ago, Dominic Cummins went because there was a tiff between Carrie's new, you know, it's like an episode of Coronation Street and, and, and Downing Street. So the, 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 Boris, the Boris Johnson premiership, I think, is coming an end, end being two or three years at the most. So I think that you, you will start to see like some people go through the Shunak, they'll start making moves to basically make the long knives. So that's how I think there is the opportunity for political pressure to work, but I think it's very unlikely. Hence why plan B, if we're not going to pressure Boris Johnson into giving us something, 
we're a sovereign nation, we just need to go and take it. But we then obviously need to make our own leadership adopt a more radical strategy. Because let's go back to 2019 again, you know, we lined all the ducks up, you know, Angus and I were called unionist, uh, unionist rebels or some stupid oxymoron like that. Um, you don't need a plan B, trust us guys, it will definitely work this time. That, that's a proven failed strategy. So I think we need to make sure our leadership understand that it's unacceptable for us to win the election in May, ask for a Section 30, not get a Section 30 and just go, oh, we tried, you know, economic recovery for coronavirus is really important, education, all these other things are really important. And before you know it, if you get to 2022 and nothing's guaranteed in terms of a referendum, as Angus says, we're looking at 2024 is the next opportunity to have an election that we can actually say this is an election for something. And at that point, you know, and I don't mind speaking frank, that the current leadership will have been in, in, in government for nearly 20, nearly 20 years. You know, I, it's a natural, natural period for a government to, to perhaps seek new blood. So we, we, we can't allow that to happen because I think that Nicola Sturgeon leading the independence campaign is a, is a really important asset. But there's not going to be an independence campaign to lead if we want May's election just asking for a referendum, Section 30, sorry, because what will happen will be the same as what happened last year. So this will be my prediction. The SNP will win a majority. They'll send out um, Alistair Jack for a few weeks to tell us that there was a once-in-a-generation um, referendum in 2014. They'll send Michael Gove to make a few statements for a few weeks. Then it'll be summer recess. Boris Johnson will eventually say something on October and then it'll be Christmas and before you know it, it's a new year. All of that inertia is gone because we've never actually done anything with it. That, that, that's what they'll do. And we've told them that that's all they need to do because we say it ourselves. Gold standard, international recognition, Section 30 is the only way to get legitimacy. And Westminster don't say that. I've not heard Westminster saying that we have one route. It's We've invented this stuff ourselves. This is exactly the case. So how do we exert political pressure on the SNP to do what the people of Scotland want and have voted for? You need to walk out, you need to get out of the way. I'm going to move on. We've moved on from that now. So Suzanne, do you want to come in and ask the final question, please? Okay, the probably the most popular question that has been asked by lots of people on social media is, why can't we just dissolve the union? Well, the, we, we need to establish legitimacy with the people. And much as I'd like to do that, I need to be sure the people are with me. And, you know, I do probably in recess of my mind have dictatorial tendencies. And it was just quite lovely to dictate that that was going to happen. But unfortunately, I've, I've intellectually succumbed and agreed and uh, submitted to the idea of democracy. And I need that to be demonstrated uh, that the people want to do that. And that's why I'm, we need to use the ballot box uh, to do anything. If we're going to dissolve the union, if using that term for a moment, we need to do so with a ballot box permission from the people. But we then again have to put it to them at an election or a referendum. And at the moment we're in position not to do anything at all other than ask Boris Johnson to veto a referendum. Again, that's what, what I see. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's called Plan A, Plan B, Plan C or Plan Dissolve the Union. What's important is that, first of all, it's a plan it's coherent, people know what it means when they go to vote for it, and you get a majority of the population behind that. That's where you get legitimacy from, a popular majority. So, you know, if 70% of the population of Scotland thought, let's just dissolve the union, of course that's got popular legitimacy. 
But I, I don't see any situation where you get to that level of popular legitimacy with a plan like that. Whereas I think a referendum, it's a it's it's not abstract, it's something people understand, they've participated in them. An election, it's something people understand. You go to a ballot box, you cast your vote and there's a winner. If we get ourselves in a situation that a referendum is denied, then I think you can build popular legitimacy behind a position, a proposition saying the only way the people of Scotland can evidence and attest that they want to be independent is be voting in an election, short of having a referendum. Another point, just because I don't know if there's any questions on it, what if the unionists boycott an, an election so they don't care about education or anything anymore? What if they boycott a referendum? It, it, it's to extents academic because of 60% of the electorate or 70% of the electorate vote for independence. It doesn't really matter that the other 30% stayed at home because you've got yourself over that middle line anyway. So I don't think, I don't think they would boycott it. But popular legitimacy is gained by bringing a majority of people behind whatever plan what they call it, plan A, B, C, D, Z, and then you must have a test for that plan. At the moment, we've got a plan. Let's have a referendum, you know, but we don't have a mechanism for testing the plan. Whereas in May, there's a mechanism for testing the plan. You get a majority of people in Scotland vote for independence in May's election. You have established that the majority of the people of Scotland want to be independent. And remember, at this point, we've got huge assets with us. First, we've got the First Minister, that's very, very popular, and who could be using a lot of that popularity to, to, to push independence, far more popular than Boris Johnson, doing a great job. The, the, the people are pleased with the First Minister. We've also got a, a European Union that's changed as regards Scotland in, for, a, for any future election, I'll put it, ballot box decision. You know, in 2014, the European Union's a members club. The UK was in the members club. Uh, and it could get noises, uh, as we saw from Jose Manuel Barroso, that were helpful to it. That wouldn't happen this time. The UK and the UK government in a very weakened uh, position. Uh, we've got the opportunity now to strike. I do remember Ross Weir's question. You know, if, if we can't, you know, we're expecting Boris to change his mind, but we can't get the top of the SNP to change their mind on something. And, you know, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum we've got to face and sort of think about. Uh, but we have to remember as well that, they won't stand in the way of the people. So if we can get the people to express their views and up at a ballot box, at the end of the day, they ain't as bad as Madrid, they aren't as good as Copenhagen, uh, but the view of the people will be respected. So we've just got to get ourselves in the position where we are asking the people what do they want and listen to the people when we get that. But remember, there's a lot of things running for us at the moment. And this is why there's sort of an impatience and a frustration about uh, the situation we find ourselves in. But hopefully things like this start to change things uh, and the emails start that we saw. That's great, Angus. Well, um, we're now towards the end of the meeting, everybody. It's been fantastic. The, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the questions we couldn't get asked. Uh, there's just not enough time. Um, but what we're going to do now is move to uh, a summing up from uh, Chris uh, and then from Angus to how, you, you, how you, you think this evening's went and you're summing up about Plan B once again. And then Suzanne's going to talk and, I'll, and then I'll close to finish. We're aiming for a, a finish for nine o'clock. So over to you, Chris. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks for organising this event tonight. As, as already said, you know, independence is bigger than the SNP. If everyone that voted SNP voted for independence, it doesn't take you anywhere near getting across the finishing line. And I think there's a really big opportunity at the end of January. The SNP's having a National Assembly to discuss things like this. What if Boris Johnson keeps saying no, which we know will say no. And why do we know that Boris Johnson will keep saying no? 
because Boris Johnson's told us he's going to keep saying no. So I think we need to get ourselves into a position that the independence movement start demanding radical action. If we go into May's election, I'm confident that on coronavirus alone, which is where a lot of people are focused on, people will contrast Nicola Sturgeon to Boris Johnson and they will make a determination on who they think has done a better job. And I think the answer to that is obviously Nicola Sturgeon. And that will get us an SNP majority. I think it will. That's before we talk about education, free school meals, before we talk about infrastructure, before we talk about prisons, before we talk about criminal justice, before we talk about the economy. And then we talk about all those things. And that will get us a majority. But what do we do with that majority? You know, it's like winning election after election, but you're the party of independence. So it's good. It feels good. You know, we heard from Brenda earlier on. She's been a member of the SNP for 50 years. She might even have stood for a candidate if she's been in, in the party that long. And, you know, there was four decades of losing election after election. So it feels great. You know, I know a lot of people that have joined the, the SNP, younger people, all they've ever experienced is winning elections. But that's not why anybody should have joined the SNP. I don't think it's why anybody that is in this meeting will have joined the SNP. And it's not what independence is about. The SNP is the, the mechanism for how we deliver independence. And if we went to May's election and we win a majority and we then go another four or five years without being able to deliver upon a referendum, I think that the troops will have been marched up the hill only to come back down again one time too many. We won't see people go and start voting the, the Labour Party or the Tories or the Lib Dems. What I fear is we'll see people just stay at home because they gave us a good 10 years since 2014 when we've seen that mass political, the second enlightenment, arguably in Scotland. You know, people from communities across Scotland that had never had a political bone in their body. They only gave us a good 10 years by this point. And it's a big, big ask to ask them to stay again for one more heave to try the same thing we tried in 2017, 2019 twice, and now 2021. And at this time, it'll come with a different outcome. It won't. Boris Johnson will say no to a Section 30 request of the SNP, one in May, and a pro-independence majority wins. We need to ask ourselves, well, what do we do if he says no? Do we just say, let's keep going? Or do we need to, this time, like we did in 2019, but we never managed to achieve anything, do we need to get into a situation that we pressure the party into realising no is not good enough? And we need to have a plan, we need to have a plan B, an insurance policy, another club or bag, whatever you want to call it. We need to have a plan so that the mandate we get at this election is used to test whether people in Scotland think we should be independent. It can't be a mandate to ask, if we can ask a question, to enact a mandate, because that's just word salad. And before we know it, it'll be 2022. Scotland won't be anywhere near a referendum on independence. And we'll be trying to elect Angus again in 2024 and we'll be trying to elect an SNP government again in 2026. And that's just far too long. And I think, I'm afraid, the game will be a bogey. The SNP will have been in government for over 20 years at that point. I don't think any government in Western Europe will be able to sustain that. This is the time. Got to deliver it now. And that should happen in May. Thanks to you both. Thanks to All Under One Banner. I see Andrew's been busy there as well. Thank you all for your working organisation, Suzanne, Andrew, Neil. Thanks to the people who've come on and stayed and been on at certain stages. It's well, There's always things on the go. Uh, I do appreciate you uh, engaging with this uh, and listening, and hopefully um, this has been, been useful. I mean, the, the long and the short of it is, I'll, I'll, I'll end with what I started with. We need a vote. 
we need the people to be able to decide one way or the other what they want to happen now that Scotland's out of the European Union. Uh, we find ourselves in a weekend situation. We see a country that is phase one of the UK departure, uh, Ireland being number two in the UN Human Deve- Development Index. Hopefully Scotland will be phase uh, two of that. Wales may, might be phase three, who knows? But, you know, we, seen, we are seeing a wealthier and better off British Isles with the independence of Ireland and the independence of the Isle of Man and the independence of the UK. It'll be better still when we've got the independence of Scotland and the independence of Wales and we're all behaving and re- regarding each other the way the Nordics do and learning from one another uh, rather than just have a, a, a cabal in charge that believe austerity is a good idea with an electoral system of first past the post that allows them to do this at about 40%. Um, but we have to change what we're doing in May or else nothing is going to happen, people. Nothing at all will be happening. We can be back and discussing this. And as I said, this could make the lack of a strategic, good strategic decision. If we repeat the same flawed strategy as 2019, the election in, whether it's 2024 or 2026, will be this one uh, for slow learners. It is bizarre that our policy is to make Boris Johnson uh, the most important person in the uh, Scottish independence self-determination story. It is strange that we leave Scotland's uh, fate in his hands by offering him a veto gift wrapped. Now, if Boris were to say yes, and you know, let's, I've been saying he'll say no, but if he's going to say yes, then that's fine. You don't need uh, your, your, your plan B, uh, but he's more likely to say no, and then you need your plan B. You don't want to find yourself uh, having arrived and there's just nothing else in your pockets. There's nothing else that you've got to play. You've no other cards. The situation we left ourselves in, we know this from 20, in 2019. Uh, when he said no, the Scottish government effectively ministers went away with the tail between their legs. That nothing has happened and nothing will happen again. Uh, so it's hugely important uh, that we do uh, get this happening. We need to make things better for Scotland. We can make things better for Scotland. This is why we're in the uh, SNP. This is why we want independence. I've seen, and I'll end on this point, I live in the Hebrides and probably... What's good for Scotland would be my main interest, but certainly uh, my, what's good for the Hebrides is my prime interest. And I compare us uh, with the Faroe Islands, who are in a, you could argue, a geographically more disadvantaged situation. Uh, in the Faroe Islands, the population has doubled, if not trebled, in the last 100 years. Population has risen by 4,000 or 8% in the last 10 years. It's the highest birth rate in Europe. They own their own airline. Uh, they own many uh, shipping companies. Uh, they build their undersea tunnels, um, say the best 4G, going on 5G, and they're 52,000 people. They're now double the population of the Hebrides. They can do all this because they're just about independent. But we could do so much more for Scotland uh, if we were in a neighbourhood that was a Nordic-style neighbourhood uh, and we were able to make our choices. We haven't been voting for the things that have come out way, the lack of investment that we're seeing constantly in Scotland, the blighting of people's lives. And this is another frustration I have about delaying this longer is the casualties on this will be human. The casualties from this will be people who will be living in poverty, who will be going out to food banks, who will be getting the bad nourishment, all the host of problems we know. It's almost tedious to repeat them, but it's not. They have to be, we have to remind ourselves why we're, why we're doing independence, why we're pushing this. We've got to shift the upstream issue, and the upstream issue is getting ourselves to a position where we vote. For who we vote for is what we get making the policies for our country. Pretty simple, really. But ultimately, if we don't get a vote... On independence, if we can't have a ballot box to express a view that has been reflected in 16, 17, 18, probably by, by May, say, 30 opinion polls, then it's going to be for nothing. We, we need a mechanism to translate the opinion polling 
into uh, votes in a ballot box. And at the moment, we have got no mechanism to do that. We are blocking the election ballot boxes, and Boris will block the the other uh, ballot boxes being the ballot boxes being used at a referendum. It's a frustration, but that's where we are. That's why we're here tonight. That's why you're appreciated uh, your time and your interaction here with myself and Chris. Every time we do this, we learn something new. We think of something differently. And the idea that he would say no to a, pl uh, a plan B is, I just remind people, it's a, it's a very different proposition saying no to plan A. Saying no to plan A is an ask by some politicians uh, up the road in Edinburgh. Uh, saying no to plan B is saying no to an entire nation of people who just expressed their views at a ballot box. So let's cut to the chase and let's make sure that the people can have that say or else uh, we'll wait another few years when we do eventually get uh, to that position. Uh, but that's, that's what we're facing at the moment. I would like to leave it on a more upbeat note. Myself and Chris will probably be doing more of these kind of things. Hopefully um, the emails will work uh, to Keith Brown and uh, we will have a change and you won't need uh, myself and Chris. Uh, everybody will be mainstream. And if the leadership was to change tomorrow its point of view, those who will oppose plan in plan B, uh, a decreasing number, uh, would change their views overnight, if not sooner. Uh, probably within 10 minutes of it, they would, they would, they would run with that. Uh, it's just unfortunate that we haven't been able to get this to the membership of the party, because I'm pretty sure had we, either in 2019 or 2020, we would have let Plan A run its course, we would have respected those who were very much in awe of Plan A, that Boris would uh, become a Scottish nationalist overnight and Boris would give us a referendum. Um, but... We are where we are. We need Plan B to make sure uh, that Scotland advances. That will leave. Thank you very much, Angus. You said you weren't going to talk for very long and then you just kind of went, didn't ah, you? I noticed you started, <laughs> but I... Uh, <laughs> Politicians! No, I know, I know, I know. I'd just like to say a big thank you to both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with you the last few weeks, honestly. You've, I've had such a laugh with you. I mean, you're so down to earth. I just can't thank you enough for coming and doing this in the first place. Um, and thanks to everybody who came along tonight and has asked questions. Some of the questions were absolutely fantastic. Um, and things that I didn't even know myself have been answered tonight. So thank you very much. For me personally, it's been really frustrating. And I'm a, I'm a member of the SNP. It's been really frustrating that I haven't been able to discuss this at conferences. Um, why it's been blocked, I just do not understand. Um, I don't see what harm it would have done being discussed. Because ultimately, we're all here for the same reason. We all want Scotland to be an independent country. And surely, discussion is healthy. And coming up with the best solutions that we can is healthy because we all want the same thing. Ultimately, something really bad is coming because what is this Tory government going to do to our country? What are they going to do to our country when they get these powers back from the EU? It's really frightening. I, I hear it from people all the time, every day on Twitter. People are scared of what's coming and ultimately may could be our final chance at this because, well, we have a parliament left. So I hope that minds have been changed tonight. I hope some people have decided to get behind Angus and Chris with their plan B because really, do we have any other option? Thanks very much for everybody for coming and I'll pass over to Neil. Yeah, just to reiterate, um, it's been a pleasure uh, working with the last few weeks. Uh, we'll keep going with that, Angus and Chris, and we've all got to keep working together. We've all got to, to focus on, on winning this. And, and basically, yeah, um, if it's not, if the manifesto is not fit for purpose, then uh, Scotland is uh, resigned to the, the Union for another five years. 
most likely, and that's the most probable. The fact that devolution, the time of devolution, the age of devolution uh, since 1999 seems to be coming to an end, one way or another, it's either uh, going to be Scottish independence or it's going to be completely demolished by the UK government. So that's the way I see it. Um, it's very much all or nothing, and we've got we've got to push for it. You know, this has a, been a great Zoom panel tonight. Again, there's been so many questions. I mean, that chat and Zoom, 91 new messages. It's just it's rampant. It's still going. So people are absolutely enthused by tonight, which is a credit to to both of you. And uh, I want to say thanks to the the All Under One Banner team who are working busy behind the scenes. Me and Susanna have uh, been co-hosting this night, but there's a lot of people involved. And also to thank Kevin Gibney of Independence Live as well, who's done sterling work in the last couple of days with promotion. And certainly for All Under One Banner, we're going to ramp it up over the next while as we get into the new year. There's going to be more of these Zoom panels to, to get these uh, discussions and debates. We're not going to stop. And as soon as we possibly can, uh, we're going to marches. I mean, certainly the, the Abroth marches on the 3rd of April uh, and then the, the Glasgow ones on the 1st of May, uh, a few days before the election. And uh, it's our full intentions that, that these go ahead. Um, obviously, we've got coronavirus to deal with. We don't know what the future holds. Nobody can really make plans now. It's infuriating. But, uh, you know, it's our full intentions to go ahead with that and all of next, all of next year's marches. Um, we've got to give it everything we've got absolutely everything we've got and it's great to see this all coming together so i just want to uh, wrap it up thanks everybody for um coming along and attending tonight hope you get a lot out of it and um neil can i can i come back to you for in just a second of I've course just, i've had a message from portsmouth uh not involved in the scottish independence who watched some of this and said why on earth would anybody why on earth would anyone ever not want to have a plan b so it's it makes sense to everybody round about. Sorry, sorry to interrupt your, your train of thought there, but I think it's... No. Uh, it, I know, it, why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you want... I mean, and, and, uh, it's you Plymouth. Sorry, it's Plymouth. I just got a message. Plymouth. Why wouldn't we want a plan B? Uh, why wouldn't we want to discuss it? It's, it beggars belief. But tonight, we have discussed it. Tonight, it has been outlined. Tonight, the movement is, is spoken to you direct um, and got answers direct, and that is a great thing. So... On that note, uh, let's let's uh, say cheerio. I 